Our very first vision statement, as opposed to mission statement, the vision statement was to become the global leader in remote video surveillance. Now, it was a scary goal for two lads with no money <laughs> and very little else, <laughs> right? But, but that was it. That's David Walsh, one of Ireland's most renowned entrepreneurs. Prior to founding Halo Care in 2020, he co-founded Netwatch and grew it from a small startup to a truly global organization, employing 560 staff and serving over 250,000 customers across four continents. And in this episode of Your Truth Shared, we explore David's journey from agriculture initially to security and now to elder care. We also discuss what it's like to step back from the company he built from the ground up and start again with a new endeavor. He doesn't disappoint. I'm Finola Howard, intuitive marketer, your host and founder of How Great Marketing Works. I believe that every business has a story to tell because that's how the market decides whether to buy or not. And your story has to resonate with who you are and with the people you want to serve. And this podcast is about helping you reach the market in a way that feels right to you. So if you're an entrepreneur with a dream you want to make real, then this is the podcast for you because great marketing is your truth shared. Welcome, David. I'm delighted to have you with us. Delighted to be here, Finola. Great to see you again. Yeah, great. <laughs> um, it's been a long time. We were on the Carlo Chamber of Commerce together, I think maybe about 13 years ago, something like that. Yeah. We, we took it over during the tough time, just at the start of the recession, 2008, 2009. Wow. So we, we, we like challenges. Indeed, indeed we do. So fantastic. What I would love to do to start with, because... As I look at your profile, there seems to me to be a little piece of a thread that runs through your career. And I know that you started out, interestingly, as a bovine embryologist, (laughs) (laughs) as I look back, and then went on to Keenan's and 13 years with Keenan's. But I would like to hear from you how that thread of working in agriculture and with cattle to Netwatch to, which is a security company, to now Halo Care, which is about elder care. So I'd love to hear this journey from you, if you don't mind sharing with us. No, fantastic. Well, my, my journey started in Kerry. I grew up in Kerry uh, yeah. in a, a small family farm. There was 11 of us growing up in this little farm wow. cottage. And we genuinely believed that we were the luckiest people on the planet. And there's no doubt that came from my parents and it's something that stuck with me for life in terms of having a positive attitude. And my mother in particular was miles ahead of her time. She she understood the whole concept of visualization back when nobody knew what it was. And she used to always wow. say to us, yeah, she used to always say to us as kids, if you want to achieve something, visualize it, dream about it. And then most importantly, take positive action to make it happen. And when she said visual, visualize it or dream about it, like... I shall I make this presumption that she wasn't having you do vision boards, <laughs> but <laughs> how did that manifest itself? How was it that you would sleep and dream about it as you go to bed at night or how did that? Yeah, we would we would dream about it. We would talk to ourselves about it and, and just give you a very simple example. So growing up in Kerry in the 70s, I mean, football was everything, the GA. So yeah. there was eight, eight kids in our house. Plus my mum and dad and my grandmother. And of the eight kids, five of us played football for Kerry. 
and we it was something childishly we say we wanted to do at some level yeah. and uh, and it happened and then my father would try and he's top and worth and he'd say whatever you do uh, avoid negative pessimistic people uh, energy vampires he was called them that sucked the energy out of a good idea even then even then as a 10 year old when you taught, said to your neighbor that you're going to play for Kerry at some stage uh if somebody had a negative response to that, then you avoided them and just surround yourself with positive people. And throughout my entire career, uh, that's what I've always done. Uh, and it's been a hugely successful part of my career, making sure that those around me had a very positive attitude because life is too short. But it's very conscious, David. Like that's a very, from a very young age, like that's something that comes to lots of entrepreneurs later or as they start their, their business, but not at 10. Like, that's, yeah. wow. Well, I think that's, that's why I, I said we were lucky with our parents, both yeah. my, my mom and my dad, and that that was their natural disposition themselves. And, and I, can, I guess they felt they had to articulate it to ourselves. But after I left Kerry, after my leave cert, I went on to UCD. And yeah. uh, I studied agricultural science there. And I have to say this as well, that I think third level education, which is why I feel very sorry for the present generation during COVID, but third level education is as much about personal development as it is about academic development. And uh, uh, I loved agricultural science from a farm background anyway, but it gave us the latitude as as a, as a, a small group in a big university to, uh, to express ourselves. And I think, again, it fed into my thinking about uh, people ask me all the time why why I'm so proud that we did, built a business in Carlo. But I've yeah. always seen that David versus Goliath piece as being mm. important. And when we were in UCD, there was 400 in Ag Science out of uh, 10 or 12,000 people. So we had, it was us against the rest as well and we punched above our weight. And again, I think I think how we react and how we lead in business is uh, it, all these factors in our environments, apart from our personalities, do feed in to the way we run things and the way we lead. And when I left UCD, you rightly mentioned, in 1988, I, I joined a fantastic company called Overmass. Yeah. This was a spin-out from UCD. Uh, what The easiest way to describe it to your listeners is back 33 years ago now, we were producing test, test tube calves. <laughs> so we were, wow. we, were, we were taking embryos from three-quarter bred heifers of female cattle, yeah. uh, bringing them back to our lab, which was based in Fetterton Tipperary, and fertilizing them, and then transferring the uh, almost purebred embryos into lesser quality cattle. So we we had this vision, and I think this is what, we, it, obviously it was disruptive in terms of what we were doing, but we had this vision that we were going to feed starve in Africa. Because back in the 80s, every time you turn on the television, you saw images of malnutrition uh, kids on TV. And this just really, really appealed to us and appealed to me particularly, we're going to save the world. But it was a big lesson. Was it your first kind of hint at entrepreneurship because it was a spin-out. It, it was. And I think it was it was my first understanding as well that whatever you work at, if that if if you understand the why, you know, why we're doing what we're doing yeah. and the purpose and the mission, then you can get really uh, uh, deeply involved in that organization and then if you can go a step further and bring people into the organization that believe what you believe in terms of the mission is critically important but you're right it was a, an entrepreneurial startup a spin out but it ran out of money and, yeah. uh, uh, and it was so 
back in 1988 when we finished in, in UCD, jobs were very scarce. I was the first person in the entire class to get a job working with this Overmass company and it was it was really innovative, it was exciting, we were doing all the things I spoke about but unfortunately the company ran out, ran out of money. Also a very good lesson though, you know, your first exposure to uh, entrepreneurship, to a startup and that very, very tangible thing of running out of money. It, I mean, it faces so many startups. And it's a fundamental issue and it yeah. hasn't changed over the last 20 years. And uh, I've, I've spoken about it in a, in, a, in a national paper recently. When we started Netwatch, and we'll come back to Keynes in a minute, we had to sign personal guarantees, you know. So, And 20 years later with Halo Care, we the banks were still asking us to sign personal guarantees, which is a, a difficult thing for a startup to do. But having uh, the necessary resources in play, particularly in businesses that have need to be developed. So the overmass model was there wasn't going to be any income generated for 12 months anyway, because that's just the nature of the, of the of the business we were in. So in those sort of situations, it is really important to have funding in place. So when, when overmass went into liquidation, I ended up coming to Carlo to join a fantastic company called Keenan's down in the picturesque village of Boris in South Carlo at the foot of Mount Leinster. Which is an amazing company also, Keenan's. Fantastic company. So mm. again, after my experiences with, with uh, Overmass, the plan was to spend maybe six months, 12 months at max in Keenan's and then head back to Kerry and do something in Kerry. And that was the, the, the thinking. But such was the nature of Keenan's, such was the culture of Keenan's, the, the, the global, they were a global leader in the space they were in, in livestock feeding systems. And I just couldn't believe this. It was just fantastic to see. Hugely innovative. It was hugely innovative, but yeah. the fact that they weren't afraid and they were they were the market leader in the UK, in the United States, New Zealand, Australia, Germany, France, all being manufactured in this beautiful village at the foot of Mount Leinster, as I said. And interestingly enough, Keen has changed my life. There's no question about that in a number of ways. So when I when I finished in, in UCD, I didn't have a commercial bone in my body. In fact, if anything, we were we were uh, through the course and, through, and the way the course was presented that sales was seen as something slippery and something they should be avoided at all times. We were we had images of this snake oil salesman or the anti-wrinkle cream salesperson and the only person <laughs> losing out was the farmer. Yeah. Uh, and But but I, I was very reluctant. I went in there in a technical capacity. So the Keenan's, their business model was they were encouraging farmers to use homegrown uh, ingredients with their silages and mix it all together and feed it out. So somebody had to put together the rations to make sure they were properly balanced. And that was the focus I went in on. And, and then I met an amazing man called Louis Carney, who became my mentor for life, unfortunately passed away last year. Great guy. And he was he was the first person that really explained to me that a, that sales, firstly, is the fundamental in every single organization. No invoice, no business. Exactly. And secondly, you know, from a from a, a, a sales perspective, it's only a good sale for the company if it's a good buy for the, a good purchase for the buyer. So it is a, there's a dynamic there. And, you know, I remember the very first day I arrived in Keenan's and Louis took me out on the farm and I'm a young fellow up from Kerry. And he said to me, what are we going to achieve here? What are we trying to achieve? What's the objective? And so, so as not to look stupid, I said, we're going to sell this man a Keenan feeder. And he said, oh, no, we're not. He said, we're going to present him with the facts and he can convince himself to buy the feeder. 
And oh, I love that. It, it, it was something that stood with me for life. And he said to me, I remember this, that a man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. So he said, this guy... We will, <laughs> great great one-liners. But we'll present him with all the facts. We'll listen to his problems. We'll present the solution and let him convince himself. And that's that's what happened. And I, I rose through the ranks. I, I, I went into sales and I took it like duck to water. I, I completely and utterly enjoyed it. I seen it as a skill set, as an art form, and as something that was real. And when professional salespeople are at their best, it is a beauty to behold. And, and I rose through the ranks of Keenan's at the time. I um, ended up being the sales manager, then being the group sales director. And, and I, I ended up coming back to Ireland to be the market director for the Irish marketplace. And like Jer Keenan was there at the time. He was the CEO uh, and uh, he had, and his leadership style was just amazing in that he built the capabilities of those around him. So I, I, I went into Keenan's uh, as green as a grasshopper, as it were. Uh, and I left with a toolbox of business tools that allowed us to go off and set up NetWatch. And it was, it was definitely from Jorkeen and that I understood the significance of strategic positioning in terms of your company and what you stand for, strategic alignment in terms of making sure that everything uh, fitted in in terms of the overall strategy. How did he summarize that idea of strategic positioning? Because it's something that a lot, of, I mean, that's my day-to-day how I work, but it'd be interesting to hear how Jared Keening are, are your perspective of, in layman's language, how would you describe strategic positioning? That's interesting. So I think when you're starting a company, there are two directions you can go from a strategic positioning perspective. You can go for a high value proposition where yeah. you're building a close, intimate relationship with your customers. Or you can go the other direction and say, listen, okay, we're going to, we're going to have a low analytical type service where cost means everything. So we're going to make sure that we, we run a real tight ship ourselves. The product that we, we're, we're going to compete at, at cost level as opposed to value level. And, and neither is right or wrong. It's up to the organization themselves. And particularly, it's related to the personality of the founder or the CEO. But, and the companies who get it right are very clear on both parties. Why do you think it's related to the personality of the CEO as opposed to the marketplace? Well, I think if you're going to, if, you, if certain CEOs are, are, come from a sort of a, a cost-based background, Right, yeah. or say certain founders should I put it that way come mm. from a cost base and they're more comfortable making sure that their efficiencies in the organization is critically important they want to make sure that they're competitive in the marketplace on price whereas the organizations where founders who come from a different perspective say listen okay we are going to we're going to sell a premium product here we're going to position it we're going to market it every single decision that we make in the organization including how we treat our people is related to that type of strategic positioning but again, from, from Jerkeen, I, I, I saw firsthand the real value of high quality customer service, because once he had made his decision that he was going for a high value proposition with that close, intimate relation with the customers, then, as I said, every, every decision was aligned to it and uh, in, in, everything in the organization. I think that's where lots of companies fall down is when they don't carry the thinking through, that it's not all aligned. I, I think that that's one of the reasons they, they fall down. And secondly, they get lost in the middle. So the companies who have the high value proposition uh, and do everything right, the companies who go for a low cost, efficient service, get it right. And then there's a bunch in the middle who say, listen, we're going to give you the high quality service at the low price, but we all know that's not possible. But they get away with it for a while and then the market finds them out uh, and and you move on. And do you think that, that people do that because they're 
try to straddle two fences, not sure, don't want to make a, don't want to take the risk. Why do you think people get lost in the middle? I think they're trying to uh, straddle two fences. Yeah. I, th- I, th- I think they believe in their heart of hearts that they can cut costs internally whilst giving an external a high quality service and it's not possible. It's, it's possible for short bursts of time but mm. if somebody wants to build a sustainable organisation that's with sustainable growth then you have to be very, very clear and you nail your, mac- your colours to one master or the other and, and the people in the middle they come and go they don't survive and I've seen it so many times even when I was in Keenan's where low cost competitors come in and said we can do the exact same as Keenan's at half the price the same happened in Netwatch and it's not the case you know yeah. that, but where, where companies come in and said okay Keenan's are out there and they're under a premium product but we have a real cheap product here uh, and we, we can do a certain job then they could be successful but it's when mm. we try, as you say, to straddle both parties. I think, uh, I think that's that's where the challenge happens. But so, uh, the last point I would make about Keenan before I move on is that what again what Keenan showed me is that the key to sustainable growth lays in, in, in innovation and continuing yeah. to be able to change, and and that's been fundamentally important in terms of in terms of the Netwatch story. And you know, so I was 13 years in 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 Keenan's. I got to the top table, which was my ambition from day one. And then when I got to the top table, I have to say, and I hope nobody gets offended by this, that I found it a bit claustrophobic in the in the context of decision making processes, right? So, you know, and and it just it became obvious to me at that stage that for me to to uh, move on in terms of my career, I needed to do something for myself. You know, I had I had the toolbox, as I said, uh, that I learned over the 13 years. And Keenan's was a family business. Uh, Jerk Keenan was the CEO. Uh, he was not going to leave that position, understandably. So for me to become the CEO of something, I was either going to join a different organization or start something else. And was it when you only got to that point that you thought to go out on your own? Like, had it been like, had that only kind of come to your thinking at that point when you felt that claustrophobia? No, I, I think the reason the claustrophobia came was because I was thinking of it all along for maybe for the last two or three years. Okay. Uh, and, and I was, I was just, look, I was, I, I was very, very comfortable in the sales process and, yeah. and, and meeting people and stuff like this. And, and I just felt, I just felt that I was looking for an opportunity to arise. Mm. You know, the, 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 thought, the thought process was there. My reaction to the top table of Keenan's was driven by probably that desire anyway. I was looking over the fence and then the opportunity for, for Netwatch came when a friend of ours was attacked one night responding to a traditional burger alarm at his place of work. He was the key holder. Long story. It was back in 2002 and the site where he was the key holder had a serious history of false alarms with traditional intruder alarm monitoring. Yeah. And it was going off all the time and the neighbours were always given out. So he just jumped in the car, drive, drove to the side to put in the code to stop the bells and whistles going off. And uh, unfortunately, it was a real event and he was attacked. And we just felt that there had to be a better way, a better way of protecting the property, but most importantly, those first responders. And that's how that's how Netwatch was, 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 was came to be. So to explain the thread for me now in your kind of life why as opposed to business why it's interesting how yeah. you go from agriculture from Keenan's to because lots of people would have stories of somebody getting hurt in different scenarios but not everybody says let's build a business from it so what's what's the the, the tipping point there yeah well I, I think from my perspective the time was right anyway right that I was thinking of leaving and then uh, one of the one of the people that I met in Keenan's on my very first day was a gentleman called Niall Kelly 
And mm. Niall's background was electronic engineering and he understood the whole area of video transmission technology. You have to put this in perspective as well. Finola, this was back in what you call it, in 2002. So we only had v- VHS tapes. We didn't have digital wow. record. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. We did, and we, we only had PSDN and ISDN telephone lines. We did not have broadband. You know, so, yeah. but, but Niall was, was familiar with this, this, this technology and, and, and we got talking about it and we said, look, we, we, we wanted to build something so that nobody else would go through the experience that our friend went through. And our initial thinking was that we would use cameras. If an intruder alarm went off, that we would log onto those cameras, albeit that it might take a minute and a half to do so, just to make sure the course was clear. And then when, once we investigated it, we discovered that not only could you do that, but you could set up a system that if somebody entered a restricted area, that the camera would send you the footage as opposed to you having to log on. And all of a sudden, it went from a real reactive service to a proactive service. And then we discovered that we could include audio challenges so to prevent the crime taking place. So if we saw three guys breaking into a property, then we could challenge them with a personalised audio warning. And it just took off from there. And the idea of the person, like, that's quite clever to have this audio piece so it's record pre-recorded or is it live was it live it was live personalized audio warnings so somebody with a red cap say you and the red cap this is private property leave the area or so on and so forth they were all personalized on the moment that somebody entered a restricted area you know so it was very interesting and you asked about motivation as well and you say you know we genuinely didn't set up Netwatch to make big revenues or big profits. That was never our motivation. In my view, it should never be the motivation of a startup. It should be the result. The result of doing the right things and doing those things better than anybody else in the world. So Netwatch at the time rose from the ashes of, of three great card organizations. There was Braun, Irish Sugar and Lapple. And I remember reading this before. Between them, they had contributed 150 years to the fabric of Carlos Society. You combine all their longevity in Carlo. So yeah. <clears throat> our, our motivation was to build a global organization. We weren't afraid of that. We were going to build it in Carlo and play our role. But when did you start to think of global? At what point? So 2002, did you open the door with a global intent or did that come later? We Our very first... A vision statement, as opposed to mission statement, the vision statement was to become the global leader in remote video surveillance. Now, it was a scary goal for two lads with no money <laughs> and very little else, <laughs> right? But but that was it. And again, I, I, I was really driven by what I saw in Kerry with the Kerry group. Yes. He set up a list all with Dennis Brosnan. I saw what Keenan's did out of Boris. He says, why can't we do it in Carlotown? So from day one, the vision was definitely to, uh, to, to build a global organisation. As an entrepreneur, it helped that you saw it, that someone else had done it before you, that you saw that it was possible. I mean, I'm always very interested in how we can help entrepreneurs and inspire entrepreneurs to think in that bigger, from that bigger perspective. So you saw it. Yeah, I mean, going back to my mother, yes, the visualization <laughs> of piece, and yes, it's fact. And then, and even, and, and to my father, because when we said we were going to do this, and people said that we couldn't be done, right? Yeah. Well, then we, what you call it, we, uh, uh, we, we got, we got even stronger in our minds. But it's amazing. I mentioned that we didn't set out to make big profits or our revenues, but the reality is, while I was there, we were there for sixteen quarters, as the guys across America describe things in quarters, mm. and we we grew every single quarter for sixty-eight quarters. There was never a quarter in those seventeen years that was less than the one before. Did you have the motivation each quarter to say we must grow it? We must. It must be better this quarter. It must be better this quarter. Like that, it's tangible, even though they're small 
like they are these steps forward. But it was was it very conscious every quarter? It was a very it was very conscious because again we were a sales driven organization and we had a very good sales team and we fine tune it. But looking over those sixty eight quarters, I can vividly see three different phases and the strategy evolved throughout mm-hmm. our phases. So phase one was about building credibility for what we're about. So you have to understand we were bringing this very disruptive technology to a very mm-hmm. conservative industry like the security industry. I, I've said it publicly before, and I don't mind saying it, I don't have an actually a, a graph for it. There's a lot of followers, very few leaders in the security industry. So we needed to build credibility. And so we had this phrase, and it was in my office for about 10 years, written on the wall, that in business, you should be a rule maker as opposed to a rule taker. We decided we wanted to stand out from the crowd, be completely different. People talk about the purple cow <laughs> and the tall poppy, and that's exactly yeah. what we wanted to do. And and we, in inverted commas, we broke all the rules of the industry, of the traditional industry. People would say to us, well, nobody's going to pay in advance for security. All our companies paid us in advance. We broke that rule. People said, well, they definitely won't pay you by direct debit in advance. 95% of our clients across the globe pay us by direct debit in advance. And every time somebody said to us that it wasn't possible, this is not how our industry does it, then we try to do things differently. And I remember throughout phase one, and I look at phase one as being 2003 up to 2007 when, when yeah. we met. If you don't look. And uh, I mean, and we had outstanding success in those five years, four or five years, and we got to five and a half million turnover, as it turns out, I uh, in that period of time. And then, yeah, and it, it was a great time. And but I also remember you were such a hustler. <laughs> <laughs> well, you were always moving, like you were very focused. I always remember that. Yeah, and I think that's part and parcel of it too. It, it, it really is because we 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 were we had a mission. And we were going to stick to it. And that mission was to build something to, 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 to make sure nobody else suffered what our friends suffered and to do that on a global basis, you know. And did you always remember that story? Oh, 100%. Uh, every single decision we made, every presentation we made in America, because uh, again, we, we were very lucky to have a tangible story that people could understand and, and they could feel it, you know. So, so fa- phase two for us was, was all about innovation. And changing, and when I talk about innovation, I'm talking about innovation from a technology perspective, from a business perspective, a, a business model perspective. Indeed, in terms of the markets and going international. And I remember in January 2008, bringing our staff together for the very first time. We only had 46 staff at the time, and uh, we said, "Look, there's something. There's a big change happening in the marketplace in terms of the recession." And we didn't predict things like Lehman mm. Brothers disaster or Anglo Irish Bank disaster but we knew a change was happening and we we we, we give the staff the opportunity to have an input into where we were going to go and uh, i used the phrase on the day guys we're going to bet the company this is my view right we, we, we're going to go for broker we're going to really build our own technology we're going to build a new care hub, our, uh, communication hub in carlo we're going to change our business model instead of charging the client up front for the, the capital we'd give it away free and just charge it for the relationship on a managed service basis. We spoke about going to the States. And I remember at the time saying to the staff, look, we, we have two choices. We can go down this road or we could just do nothing, wrap our arms around what we've already uh, achieved and hope that we'll be around when this recession uh, burns over. But pretty much every single person in the place had a vote and they said, no, let's let's go. Let's go for it. That's so interesting. What, like, was there a type of person that was a netwatch employee or was there That's a great point well there was there's been a few yeah. eureka moments in my life and that particular day uh, to your point was probably the most important day because as i looked down at the crowd of 46 people there was probably 15 in the room who shouldn't have been there 
because we had been careless in the recruitment process. We were we were recruiting to fill a position uh, based on competencies instead of looking in a different direction and taking on people who had a different attitude and who had an attitude like we had and who, who were able to put their shoulders to the wheel. And after that, would you believe it, I started introducing personality profiles in every single uh, recruitment, irrespective of what position it was in the organization. And we were looking for three things. We were looking for somebody who had a natural positive disposition in life. That was absolutely fundamentally important. And if they didn't, it didn't make them bad people. It just meant they were better off in a different organization to the organization that we were in. They would be more aligned to that low-cost environment I was speaking about earlier on in terms of a low analytical service. The second thing we were looking for was people who take ownership. They don't make excuses. When the event happens, their natural disposition is to resolve the issue and, and go out there and, and make the changes. They're not allow somebody else to do it, not to make excuses. So if when something went wrong for ourselves, we didn't make an excuse. We actually put a plan together to make sure that we improved it better the next time around. And the, the third thing we were looking for in the people that we recruitment recruited was people who had a natural ability to, to handle change. Because... Uh, Netwatch changed dramatically over the 17 years and some people, uh, when we, once we got it right, I'd say about 2010 onwards, every single person that we had in the organisation was, not, not, they not only knew that change was inevitable, but they knew that change was absolutely necessary because we had this phrase in Netwatch that being, being best in class is not good enough. The market will not continue to pay you sufficiently enough for being best in class. So you need to have new technology, new innovation coming all the time so as to, to, to bridge the gap. Because going back to that phrase about the market not paying you enough for being best in class, the market will acknowledge your best in class. It will acknowledge the person who's in second place or third place is not as good, but unfortunately good enough. So you're going to lose out unless you continue to move the, the, the battlefield, as it were, with new technology and uh, and new products and services. And that's what we did in, in Netwatch. Can I ask you a question now? Sure. Because it's really interesting to me. I, I do a lot of work with uh, integrating marketing thinking into HR positions, uh, into the HR function in companies. And there's an interesting kind of dialogue around you know, hiring a certain type that's aligned with the company so that you have these three things, which are positive disposition, the ownership, no excuse making and um, can handle change. And like, that's wonderful, that clarity that you have around that. But here's just a question in terms of in this time that we have about diversity and inclusion. Yep. Is there a danger of being that focused, which is powerful, and and it's not it's this is not rhetorical. I'm yep, actually yep. genuinely ans asking this question. Is there a danger that it's skewed too much in one direction? Is there a possibility that uh, you are leaving something out, which is you know challenging the po possibility of being challenged by a different viewpoint? It's a fantastic question. So in terms of diversity, I think that's critically important, and we had all types of people in in. Uh, in, in that watch. And I think what's fundamentally important, I wasn't trying to surround myself with yes people. And mm. that's right. So there's, there's another big long story story in this, uh, Finola, in terms of how we could describe the culture that we developed in, in that watch yeah. underneath this piece, right? So again, very, very simply, I, I was never, I'm still to this day, I'm not a fan of values being put on a wall. 
because the first three, and pardon yeah. my French, are the usual bullshit. Honestly, integrity, <laughs> trustworthiness. Uh, and and I, 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 I've, I I've sat in reception areas looking up at these values in the wall and known in my heart and soul that, that the person that I was going to be dealing with did not live these values. So we, we, we came up with a situation, uh, said in Netwatch, right, we're going to do a deep dive into our culture. And instead of talking about values, we're going to talk about behaviours because people... Mm everybody can see what a behavior is like my 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 view of honesty and yours could be different depending on different circumstances you know and i often use the example of oliver the musical when i was young watching that and we all know that stealing is dishonest and wrong but if you haven't eaten for five days and you can get an apple off a stand for free of charge and make a run for it you, you yeah, can yeah. you can justify that in your mind in that piece yeah. so whereas behaviors are different behaviors are solid, they're rock solid. There's, there's, there's no, if somebody's late in the morning, that's a behavior in the story. There's no ifs and buts. So we decided to go through a process in Netwatch where we would decide on the behaviors in Netwatch, two things that we always did and two things that were completely unacceptable. So the two things that we always did as an organization, uh, we always put the customer first and we yeah. always worked as a team. They were the two things, the positive behaviors. And they were the things that got you rewarded, uh, promoted, and recognized in the organization. And they're the two things that we never do. We never uh, disrespect another person, whether that's an employee, a manager, a manager to an employee, a, uh, a, an employee to an outside, to a customer or to a supplier. And they talk about, we, we spoke earlier on about strategic alignment. Once we'd made that decision, then we meant it for everything. And to your point there specifically, that the second thing that we never do, we never hide. Uh, we all have opinions. We all make mistakes. It's important that we own up to those mistakes and drive on. And one of the things I remember speaking to a senior manager one day when she, when she was starting, and was saying to her, particularly on this piece about we don't hide. And I said, hide means different things to people in terms of their own jobs and whatever. But I said, at the senior management table, if I'm very strong about a particular direction I want the company to go, and you feel completely that we should be going a different direction, and you don't speak because I'm a strong character, well, then you're hiding. You're no use to me. You know, you have to challenge, you have to challenge things at a strategic level to make sure that we're doing the right thing for the company. And and, and that stood us good stead over the way, we, that culture, uh, the the model of the, the behaviours became known as the Netwatch way and everybody lived. Do you know what I like about how you articulate all that is the language, the language you use. Well, first of all, I like that it just comes so fast. Mm. Um, it's at the tip of your tongue, um, which means that you feel it very uh, clearly. That's what comes to me when you speak about it. But the other thing is the language you use is so simple that it can't be ignored. It's not highfalutin language. You know what I mean? Well, I, I, I believe personally, I could be wrong on this, that that's the key. Yeah. I, I had no interest in trying to pretend to the staff in Netwatch that I was intellectually more powerful than they were because it wasn't true anyway. <laughs> so <laughs> no. I, would, I would have got cut out, uh, cut out very, very simply if I tried that. So I think what, what I discovered over time was that people like to be, to, people like clarity and yeah. clarity comes from simple communication and being very, very clear. And just so an, another thing I brought into Netwatch over the years <clears throat> was that I insisted that the management team could only start new employees on the first Monday of a month or Tuesday if it was back holiday weekend. And the reason Why? was because that way I would meet them myself. I would meet all new employees on their very first day and I would go through welcome to the organization and I would talk about the culture of the organization and I would talk about the, the, the two do's and the two don'ts. And then at the end of it, I used to have 
my own growling rights. I just joke about this. I just put up a clock, a broken clock, and I say, guys, look, just just from my perspective, right? You know, probably because of my farming background, I hate people being late. So, so here's 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 my advice to you if you want a long career in that watch. We 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 start at eight o'clock in the morning. Be here early. Be here at ten to eight. Right. We finish yeah. at five thirty. Be gone at five thirty. That's the quid pro quo, because coming in early in the morning gives me a clear indication that you want to be part of this organization. Mm-hmm. Leaving at half five in the evening gives me a clear indication that you've got a life outside of NetWatch, outside yeah. of NetWatch. And if you don't, then we're all in trouble, you know, so cracks will appear. So, again, that that's very, very simple clarification made it very clear to people, you know, and, 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 and then they, they enjoyed it. They, they, they enjoyed knowing what was important in the organization. Yeah. This, I mean, I have a question for you now about this. How much can I make a presumption? Can I make a presumption that a lot of this stuff evolved from, you know, you learn, you you adjust, you try things out, they don't work, they do work, and that these insights that you have at this point, at this stage in your uh, entrepreneurial career is an accumulation of all the lessons you've learned over this period of time. Like I presume you didn't walk in at two th- in two thousand and two having all of these great this great wisdom. Um, so I presume that that's the case. Yeah, I think it came from three different uh, areas. One is that it is a journey, and you're right, and we all evolve along the journey, and and we build on what's in the past. So we get we get stronger and stronger at certain things, right? So that was one thing. Secondly, I was a finalist back in two thousand and seven in the Entrepreneur of the Year, the Ernst Young Entrepreneur of the Year program. Yeah, that, I remember that, yeah, yeah. And that was a game changer, apart from all the PR and all that stuff. Because it was the first time that I was in a group of entrepreneurs who, who shared the same opportunities and challenges that we had. And and we have a group of us that get together every so often we meet, there's 10 of us, and we talk about different business issues in our in our different companies and so on and so forth and how and predominantly in, in all the early days of course it was all about the bravado stuff how good we were but then somebody would drop their guard and say look we had a little problem here and then somebody else so it evolved into a situation where we started helping each other just bouncing ideas and the third piece thanks to enterprise ireland i did the leadership for growth program in stanford university back in 2011 and again that was definitely a game changer for me because all of a sudden a bit like what i said about keenan's i had all these strong views in terms of culture, in terms of uh, positioning and so on and so forth. And and all of a sudden, they were, uh, how would you put it? Uh, the, the, the lecturers that we had in Stanford University were talking the same language. And to your point earlier on, they kept saying to us, when you go back home to your people, just keep it bloody simple, lads. Don't try to mm-hmm. pretend just because you've been to Stanford University, you're now, you're, you're now more advanced than everybody else. And, and and I think those three things were the reason that, that we evolved over time. That peer group thing is is particularly interesting because I think it's that whole idea of having people that push you, that will, one, support you, cheer you on and kind of keep your uh, spirits up and, you know, when things get tough or and when things get good, you know, to celebrate yep. with you. Uh, because there is that old story of if you um, go to play, and I don't play golf, This I'll say this really badly, but anyway, I always think of this, <laughs> that when you go and you play a game of golf and you go with the golf pro, the reality is, is that your game will come up because you're with the pro, but their yeah. game will come down. Yeah. I mean, I always find that very interesting, that mm. analogy. I would, I mean, I have a group that I meet every week myself because it keeps me moving forward and pushing me. And I'm presuming that's the case with your example of the peer group. Yes, 
exactly. And it, and, it, and it is important for us not to stagnate and keep moving yeah. forward. And that is the best way to do it. Tell me what happens next now. So you get you have this enormous amount of success with Netwatch. It's very, very well recognized throughout this country and internationally. What happens that you decide to move again? Well, so we spent 17 glorious years in, in Netwatch, grew to a fantastic organization. And then for the latter years, we brought in private equity uh, from the outside to acquire three companies and to allow myself and Nile Kelly, who was the other co-founder, to take some money off the table which we did yeah. and, and reinvest in the in the bigger organization which now became the netwatch group which was yeah. a, a far far bigger organization so at, at that stage then we said right who's the best person to take this on to the next level where is the big market going to be and there's absolutely no doubt that for netwatch the big market is in is in is in the us is in the usa so it was critically important that the uh, new ceo or the, the ceo was going to be based in the US as opposed to Ireland. We wanted to keep Ireland and Carlo as our headquarters by all means, but it had to be driven from the US. And I certainly wasn't going to move after 17 years and yeah. all, all the hardship that my wife went through over the years, doing all the heavy lifting at home. So it, 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 we made a decision back in the day that we would, when, when the deal was done, that I would stay on board for 12 months. I ended up staying on board for maybe nearly 22 months or almost two years. And we, we sought a new CEO and we found a fantastic man in America. Absolutely brilliant guy. Again, he, ha- he, he understands our culture. And uh, so for me, it was very, very clear that you can't, you can't have two bulls in the one field. So I just, I, I had to give this man his space. I love that. Yeah. So, yeah, so nod back to you. So uh, it, it made sense that we're going to step step down from, as the CEO made the announcement back in 2019. Was it hard? Yes, it was hard. It was hard from a, I, so it was easy from a business perspective because I knew it was the right thing for the business. Absolutely, 100%. But it was hard uh, leaving the people behind because, you know, when we built the culture that we had and when you have 68 quarters of growth, it's like a, it's like a, a team winning a county final or in Northern Ireland, right? They stick, they stick together. There's something happens there that you can't just describe, that we're all part of something and we're all proud of it. We all had uh, setbacks along the way, but we got over those things and we moved on. So from that perspective, it, it, was, it was difficult. But, but knowing that it was the right thing to do was um, made it easier, if that makes sense. Yeah. Why was it the right thing to do just for the business, but for you as a as a man, like as a businessman, as an entrepreneur and as a man, why was it the right thing for you to do? Well, it was a new challenge because we, I was never going to leave Netwatch and do nothing. That was never, that was yeah. never the plan. I would have liked to have done nothing for a year or six months at least, but but that didn't happen either. And then what actually happened, and it's amazing how these things evolve, but um, I attended the um, Family Carers Ireland's uh, Carer Awards in Dublin fantastic yeah. awards I mean like you and I have been at awards over the years but this, this was really touching stuff you had some extraordinary sorry ordinary people doing extraordinary stuff for a loved mm. one and giving up their mm. lives and putting their lives on hold it was a vocation you know for these people and I couldn't help thinking and, and coming home that night that look technology has a role to play in this world to help a, a, a carer to give them some respite, if that's the right word to use, so they can take a break themselves, and even to support and give independence to the uh, to the person that's being cared for. And then COVID hit, and we yeah. saw firsthand the real negative impact that COVID had on the most vulnerable population, which is the elderly. And we saw yeah. what happened in nursing homes, unfortunately, very, very sad. Uh, and everybody knows that outcomes are far, far better for elderly people, particularly when they live at home in their own community. And, and nine out of 10 people 
want to live a, live when they get into their twilight years would prefer to live at home if they can get support there. And at the same time, the dentistry, uh, Leo Veracker was was calling on the business community to come up with some innovative ways to help the situation. And friends of mine were bringing in PPE. Another friend of mine privately uh, turned it around his business to make ventilators as opposed to what he was doing in the past. So we just felt that we had to pay our part. And like okay. I, I, going back to this why again in our mission, our, our mission is very simple. It's to use technology to empower senior adults and other dependent parties to live a quality life for longer in their own home. It's all about the quality life piece. It's not just about living at home. It's about having the quality of life. So did you have a personal story of why you picked this? Like when you built Netwatch, there was a personal story. I'm just curious as to all of the options that were available. Yeah. Why choose this? Well, I think we, we knew the technology space. We we knew we wanted to do something for carers anyway because of that that awards uh, event we were at. And then Niall Kelly's mother was 97. You watch 97 now. Yeah. She's probably 96 at the time. And again, Niall was very, very conscious of this. And, and Niall and his family were bringing in carers around the clock. Said, look, surely technology can play a role in their home at nighttime rather than having somebody sitting in a chair beside their mom. And and again, all those factors fed into it. And I think, but I think the biggest driver for ourselves was that what what we seen on the telly on a daily basis during mm. COVID in terms of elderly people and the, the figures were huge in terms of who mm. who passed away in nursing homes and trying to keep them out of that nursing home and, and and keep them connected to the outside world. I think that was critically important. Well, I know. I mean, from my own experience, my dad passed away in 2018 and from Parkinson's and he had been in a nursing home for a year before that. Yep. And I know what it took for my mom to take care of him at home. And it was oh, yeah. so challenging. And um, But I do know that we talk all the time that thank God he went before COVID. I know. It's, it's, and it's, it's, look, it's, uh, it's a big issue. There's no question about it. So now there's, there's, there's four components to what we do. In, in right. health care, the first one is about safety. And we talk about safety. We talk about safety of the person themselves and mm. then safety of the environment that we that, that, that they live in, in terms of their home. And mm. in terms of the person themselves, <clears throat> again, we, we did a detailed survey of uh, 1,000 people over 75 years of age, asked them a number of questions. And one of the questions was asked was, would they like to live at home when they get old, when they move on in later years? And yes, of course, they do. The second one would... would do the mind wearing devices, having a pendant around their neck or having a bracelet on their wrist or God forbid a tag on their ankle or something. And they don't. They they want to live independently. So the technology we have developed is contactless. So uh, the person wow. doesn't have to wear it. So just take for a very simple scenario that uh, you know, the sitting room of an elderly person that's living alone, this device mm. is fitted to the wall and it learns the scene, right? There's no cameras involved, which is critically important. So the the, the, the privacy and dignity of the person is protected at all times. But the technology is very, very intelligent in that it learns the scene. It learns the normal posture, the normal gait, how many steps somebody take, how fast they walk, how long they're sitting on the couch, when they get off the couch, do they stumble and so on and so forth. And it, it reports back outliers to ourselves into our care team here in Carlogan in where we have a care hub and the, the waterfront building with nurses and care staff. And yeah. then if there's an extreme outlier, like... Um, um, somebody falls, well, the, the technology recognizes that straight away and opens up a um, a channel to our care team here to follow after that. You know, so it's a it it, it, it it's a holistic service in that thing. We also monitor uh, things in the home like gas, carbon monoxide, fire, um, 
even down to uh, flooding. We had one lovely lady who's down in care in Tipperary, and she uh, she put her she's got early signs of memory loss. She put the dishes into the sink, turned on the tap to soak them, and unfortunately went out to the living room and forgot to come back in to turn it off. But because we have flood detection systems there, we knew there was water heading onto the floor, and we were able to alert her and make sure the place wasn't flooded. Which was and she was able to be reminded that oh like effectively the alert went off and she could go in and take care of her the issue herself correct exactly now if she Which was is dignity she, that's dignity it is and that's what it's all about and then the next piece the very important p- pillar that that underpins what we're doing is the whole area of social inclusion we, again yeah. we've seen firsthand what happened during covid when elderly people were living alone and they couldn't have their sons their daughters their grandchildren visit for obvious reasons so how do you keep connected so we we've built our own ipad which is age-friendly for the elderly, very, very simple to use. And we've built our own uh, app, which we call the Circle of Care app, for 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 the, the her sons, daughters, nephews, nieces, whoever she decides or he decides should be in that. So they can they can stay connected together. They can stay connected to our to our care hub here. And in the last two pieces is an area of, of wellness. So again, we 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 have in-house occupational therapists here who do a, a an assessment day one in terms of the elderly person. And then we make sure that their hydration, their nutrition, their exercise is done on a daily basis as it should be done. Because again, we have a, a very strong clinical advisory board here. And they keep telling us that even if, if somebody is living with a chronic illness like diabetes or COPD or arthritis, if we mm. can take care of the of the wellness piece first, the basic wellness uh, that we all know to be important, then the outcomes are far, far better. And the last piece of our jigsaw is the, the the whole area of vital sign monitoring when somebody is living with a chronic illness that we can remotely monitor uh, such things as blood blood sugars blood temperature respiration lung capacity blood oxygen blood pressure all those type of things and we give that information to their gp or to their specialist so it's it's a holistic offering that we have and it all comes back to our care hub here in carlo again you, you, you've heard me mention carlo a few times but, we, but, <laughs> but we're, 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 we're proud of that fact we want we want to build another global organization here in carlo and i have no doubt that we have the people to do it and the technology to do it and how how is it how is it being received, David? Because it sounds amazing. So we, we only launched it. We started building the technology last May, last June. Yeah. We've built out the care hub in Carla, which is all fantastic. And in time, when, when we can all travel again, you're most welcome to come in and have a look. But, but So we didn't launch the business until the end of November last year. And the response to it has been extraordinary. Uh, really, really has, both from private clients, from private hospitals, public hospitals, uh, even some insurance companies are, are, are look. Are, are, we're we're involved in some very strategic conversations, but from a uh, an elderly person's perspective, I think what's really, really important to them is that it's unobtrusive. So as I said, it's contactless. So when when the technology is in place, the elderly person lives a normal life, and that's what they want to do. They just want to live a normal life. That's quite unique. Because I look at my own mother, my mother is, will be 79 later on this year, yeah. and I know that she wears devices and I know it bothers her. Yeah. Uh, so that's, it's so interesting. It makes me want to find out more. So <laughs> I presume good. I'm not going to be the only one. How do people find out more about Halo Care? So the easiest way is to go onto our website, which is the uh, halocaregroup.com. 
and all the information is there, all the contact numbers is there. The, our, our direct, a very easy number to remember uh, the, here is 0818-700-700. Somebody will get directly in here. But if they go onto the website, they'll see all the, the details there and they can send in emails and they can, they're a very, very easy way of contacting us. And we do have uh, a, 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 a team of care consultants here who speak to the client. Again, going back to what Louis Carney said to me 30 years ago now, Right. It's only a good sale for the company if it's a good purchase for the buyer. And that, that link has to be there. So we, we tailor the solutions to the exact needs of the person. So uh, and uh, that, hence why the response is so positive presently. Fantastic. Thank you so much for your time, David. You're very welcome. I hope you enjoyed that episode. And if you'd like to find out more about David, check out the Halo Care website at halocaregroup.com and if you'd be so kind to share this episode with someone you know who would find it valuable I would greatly appreciate it if you'd like to reach out to me about the podcast or anything else email me at ask at and I'll be back next week with another guest and until then take care <laughs>